Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, do you know that the college football season starts two weeks from today? Two weeks from, it's Thursday. Two weeks from today, September 3rd, there are two college football games scheduled. Can't wait. Can't wait. I wanted to get your, just check, let's just check in on that for a second here. So, you know, it's, we continue to be in this weird parallel you know, between these two parallel worlds where on the one hand, you know, and we're going to talk about this in a second, we're dealing with the Big Ten's decision to cancel and schools that have had to shut down online, uh, shut down in-person classes because of COVID tests and whatnot. On the other hand, the SEC released their schedule and a big announcement on Monday. You know, all their teams are, are practicing now. Uh, we're going to be bringing on Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame writer, in a little bit. And that interview will actually be half about the outbreak they're having and half about what he's learned from their practice so far. Like, do you, what do you, when you wake up in the morning, feel like, Oh, it's almost football season. Like what, how do you feel right now? Uh, I, I tell you what, because I follow so many people who cover the NFL in some way or another, I'm seeing a lot of training camp stuff, not just that, you know, I've watched the first couple episodes of hard knocks, but I'm seeing a, like a lot of NFL stuff that gets me further, gets me into the football mindset from a from a very personal level um you know we still have a big tbd on my fox sports side of things as it relates to obviously people know we cover the big 12 the other two conferences the big 10 and the pac 12 that the fox that fox has deals with those are not going to certainly happen but at least from the big 12 side so just trying to figure out how's this going to work uh for my broadcast crew for me as well and so it's a weird balance, right? I mean, you can't ignore the stuff. I saw earlier today that uh, a Georgia State quarterback announced that he's not going to play this year because he has heart issues that uh, are, are related to COVID-19. Um, and there's and there's the testing numbers that we're seeing. As you mentioned, we're going to have Pete on with us in a little bit. You see the stuff with the University of North Carolina. You've seen some stuff with other schools it's it's such it's just a it's a weird mix i mean right you know like one thing that struck me um i don't know it's just probably like three weeks ago or so remember you know we're not every school is putting out testing information with their football team but i remember uh retweeting or tweeting something out in an email from one of the schools that said they tested i don't know 75 players and four of them tested positive or something. And I looked at one of the comments underneath and was like, what's your point? And I was like, I started to respond. I'm like, I don't have an agenda on this. This is just like the information, right? Like I love football. If they're going to play, you know, I, I'm going to can't wait for it and I want to see it. Um, and if they're not going to play because they've determined they can't, then, then that's going to be that decision, you know? And, 
I, I don't know. It's just, it's just a, it's just a little bit of a roller coaster ride. That's the only way I can describe it. For me, it's a roller coaster ride from like hour to hour. Like I might, I mean, sometimes I go to bed feeling very depressed and pessimistic and just, and not even that, just like worn down from dealing with all this. Um, and it's become so divisive. And, and like you said, everybody thinks that, that the media has an agenda to bring down football. And, you know, it's, it's meanwhile, like we've got two sets of beat writers in the big 10 and pac 12 whose seasons have been shut down and, and we have to, you know, talk about what they're going to do for the next four months. So it's, it's exhausting. It's, it's been, believe me, like I take no joy in dealing with any of this it's it's if anything been the hardest thing i've i've ever dealt with in my career um and then but like you said i mean that sec schedule announcement you couldn't have watched that and not come away feeling a little bit of of the juices flowing and i would also say that i don't think greg sankey especially in light of how we'll talk about this in a second kevin warren's missteps would have let them do this you know, live on the SEC network, we're going to roll it out week by week, big announcement. If he thought there was any possibility, his presence, we're going to turn around the next week and cancel the season. So, um, you know, I, I do think that it's all kind of on shaky ground, but at the, but I don't think there's any, I think the SEC is ready to play football. And I don't think that like suddenly they're going to come to the conclusion a week from now that it's not safe. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the outbreaks at UNC at Notre Dame, and that's just the beginning. You know, all these other universities are coming back. I'm sure we're going to be reading stories like that about schools and, that are still playing football. Um, it's going to really muck things up. And we'll just have to, that was always going to be the big challenge is can they withstand this period without having, you know, the kind of massive outbreaks that would just make it not tenable to play. But, um, did you get a chance to look through? Like, do you have any big thoughts on the SEC schedule? Uh, good luck to <laughs> Sam Pittman. Yeah. And good, and especially, you know, good luck to Eli Drinkwitz. Eli, you have a great sense of humor and you're going to need it with what got added onto your plate. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, as you said, you get your juices flowing when you see actual matchups and you try to map out a you know a calendar on these sorts of things. It's um, you know like one of the things that came to my mind as I watched that rollout show, and all these things feel like it could have happened a month ago and it could have happened two days ago when this thing ha- when you know this happened. But it's like, man, it's going to be a little odd watching these games and knowing like. And this is probably more the case with you than certainly me because for the last five years I'm on a road and I'm not sitting for the most part. There's a handful of times where uh, I've had a Friday night game or, or, or whatnot. So I was home on a Saturday, but for the most part, I'm not on my couch on Saturday unless I'm in a hotel maybe and I have a night game, but to see like whatever it is, Georgia against Florida, and know that there's almost nothing else that's going to be in that window because there's no Big Ten opposite, and there's just a there's just less games. I think that is going to be you did your top twenty five, and would you have half the Sun Belt in there? I mean, it's like we just have a smaller <laughs> scaled thing, right? It's like get used to hearing a lot more about Cincinnati because they're good, and there's just less teams that people are going to be focusing on. You know, you brought up a good point, you know, for all the focus, obviously, on the how the SEC, Big 12 and ACC are going to do this. The sneaky surprise winner in all this, if they can make it work, would be the, to me, would be the AAC. Because, I mean, ESPN still has slots to fill. And suddenly a bunch of those, you know, Cincinnati, Memphis or, or Memphis, UCF or you know, SMU, whoever you want to name, like some of those games are going to get really good time slots. Uh, that would have been taken by the Big Ten or the Pac-12. And and I would even say that, you know, because, I mean, first of all, you know, BYU, I believe, has six games on its schedule at this point. It's really scrambling. But the first two, I noticed, you know, the first one is BYU-Navy. It's on Labor Day night on ESPN. It's that game that in the past has been uh, usually like a, a game involving Miami or Florida State or somebody. Um, that's a big window for them. And then they're playing at Army, on September 19th 
and because the SEC will not have started yet at that point, they're getting the 3.30 CBS window for a BYU-Army game. So the group of five slash BYU that are still playing could really benefit from all this. Um, In terms of the SEC schedule, two observations. A, I'm not big into conspiracy theories, but they absolutely stacked the deck for Alabama and Georgia. I mean, Georgia got added uh, Mississippi State and Arkansas, who to me are the clear two worst teams in the other division. Alabama added uh, Missouri and was it Missouri and Kentucky or Missouri and Vanderbilt? SEC added Alabama added Missouri and Kentucky. Kentucky, I think, will be an actual decent, formidable opponent. Not so sure about Missouri. Well, further furthering that point, the national champs also got Vandy and Missouri. There you go. To me, now this is why this is why I do think it's. I'm not saying conspiracy theory, but like there's a strategy behind that. The thing about ten game SEC schedule is it's gonna it is it's gonna be exciting and it's gonna be a lot harder for the teams to make it through with the kind of records you would usually expect. In fact, I saw one of these sports books put out win totals, and even Alabama's win total was seven point five, not nine point five or nine seven and a half. So. You know, there's an expectation going in that a team that would have normally gone seven and one is going to go eight and two, and a team that normally would have gone uh, six and two might go, uh, you know, five and five. So, SEC fans are going to have to adjust their expectation level in terms of wins and losses. Which good luck with that. But I do think that there's a notion that okay, we're down to three Power Five conferences. Clearly, the SEC champ is going to get into the playoff if they have even remotely the same or, or near record as the other power five champs, I think they're trying to get both Alabama and Georgia in, or both LSU and Georgia in. back to the podcast in a second, but first a word about earnest. Now's the time to get your student loan payments under control. You could be saving by refinancing your student loans with earnest interest rates have hit record lows, which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with Earnest. Checking your new rate is fast and easy. To start, complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes. Then you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. And now you can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with earnest.com audible. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at earnest.com slash audible. Not available in all states. Visit earnest.com slash audible for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Earnest student loan refinance loans are made by Earnest Operations LLC, NMLS number 1204917. California Financing Law License number 6054788303 2nd Street. Suite 401 N, San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of license states. There's something that dawned on me uh, with that number as I started to think about it in terms of the, the win total is I think you're going to have a much greater chance to have big upsets this year than ever before because the contact tracing element and having key players quarantined and things happening on the fly where there would be such a, um, not upheaval, but just such things that are going to happen so fast that I think you could see a lot more chaos on the field and just the level of uncertainty that that is going to be swirling inside of programs. Uh, I think you may see... A, you know, some teams stumble that normally don't either because they could have a position room decimated or just the turnover transition that they're going to be under leading up to games and the uncertainty that I think that's going to have. I think you're going to have more upsets than normal, a lot more. I think it could be absolutely crazy. And I think that that Vegas sports book kind of built that into it because you look at Arkansas, who's been just terrible the last two years. Would not, you know, I think, so here's their schedule. Georgia, Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss, A&M, Tennessee, Florida, LSU, Missouri, closing with Alabama. 
I think if you were going by just on paper, who's the better team, you'd probably pick them to go 0-10 or maybe 1-9. Maybe they get Leach in the second game. But their over-under was actually 2.5. It's almost like they were baking in, like, Arkansas is going to, one of these games, like, they're going to play Alabama and uh, Najee Harris, uh, Jalen Waddell, and Dylan Moses while being quarantined, and they'll pull off the upset, right? Like, craziness is built into that. Um, If we get to do it, if we get to watch it, it is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Our producer, John Hayes, wanted to bring this up. Will you view, if it, if this ha- all happens, will you view a playoff of just these conferences, um, like, legitimate? Like, will you view it the same way you would in a normal season? I would, um, because I think once we're in it, I think whether it's, if you're the national champion and you've made it through all of the external factors that are in front of you, whether it's having a fraction of an off season and all the chaos around it. If you come out on top after that, I absolutely think you'd have a legitimate claim to putting a trophy up, to putting it you know, on your letterhead and around your facility, no doubt. Um, because I think this is going to be a hard year, even if there are way less teams, to come out of this relatively unscathed. I mean, I would argue that it might it's going to be harder to win the SEC championship than the national championship, possibly. Uh, the only way I would maybe not say that is because Clemson is still playing. Um, and I do, I mean, I think at some point it'll just feel normal. It'll feel really weird at first, and then at some point it'll feel normal. And um, it would be a different story if if you changed which conferences were, were, were out uh, I mean, I mean, the, the, at the end of the day, like the Pac-12 has not been a factor in the national title race since the first year, and I don't think them being not a part of it feels like it's, you know, you can't have a playoff without them. The Big Ten, it's mostly about one team. You know, if, if you want to, I'm sure Ohio State fans will claim till the bitter end that there should be an asterisk because uh, they would have been one of the, the top playoff contenders. But you still have the SEC. You still have Clemson. You still have Oklahoma. So. In that sense, I think it'll feel, I mean, that includes most of the usual suspects. So I think it'll feel fairly normal. And I also think, by the way, we talked, I just mentioned the the AAC. If one of those AAC teams goes undefeated, how can they not be in the playoff this year? Like you would have to really be forcing yourself to, uh, to leave them out at this point because there's not going to be five or six teams with, with only one loss. Right. I mean, I don't even know how, given they're not playing each other out of conference for the most part, how you would even say that you would that the committee could say, "Well, UCF didn't play anybody." Well, how do how do we know they didn't? For all we know, if they played more out of conference games, they might have won some of them. So that's that's all the, the the good news. The you know, I definitely find myself getting invigorated when we talk about actual football. We do need to talk about what happened in the Big Ten on Wednesday. Kevin Warren, after eight days of radio silence releases an open letter acknowledging all the backlash, acknowledging the poor communication on their part, but making it very clear that they are not going to be revisiting the vote, and there was a vote, uh, to postpone the season. Finally laid out some of the medical reasons behind their decision, which, by the way, mirrored almost exactly the Pac-12's reasons, and also just made it clear that like they are definitely planning to have a spring season if it is, if it is feasible. My question for you is, if they, how different would it have been if they had released that exact same letter the day he announced it or the day after he announced it? Because I feel like the damage is already done. And for a guy in his first year on the job, like the, the, the mistrust and the, and the venom that has been directed to him is going to be hard to overcome. Absolutely. I, I think he mismanaged this, the handling of this, in spectacular fashion, right? I think, and we may have talked about this on our last podcast, Dave Revson, who worked for Big Ten Network, but I think distinguished himself very well in how he approached this, asked him, pressed him repeatedly, even brought up myocarditis, you know, went into specifics, and he never did any of it, right? And then, to me, what was so puzzling was he has the whole sports world's attention right at that moment and it wasn't like it happened instantaneously right there had to be plenty of thought and process building up to that moment even if 
the decision had just come down. You had to have that been in the back of your head for a while. How are we going to explain this? And he offered no details. And then, uh, I don't know what it was, maybe it was within two hours, uh, The Athletic is reporting from a high-level Big Ten source that there are at least 10 cases of, of myocarditis in the Big Ten. And you're like, why, why would that detail not have come up as at least one of the reasons for an explanation, offering some insight? He shared none. And I even feel like even Wednesday he did a round of media after the letter, and I still felt like, it was just kind of like you're shrugging your shoulders at all this. I just, I don't know. You can, can uh, contrast it to the to the Pac-12's handling, and Larry Scott and his conference, you know, usually get ripped for some of how they're for mostly how they handle things front facing. And I thought they they came out looking much more together than Kevin Warren has. I mean, isn't it interesting that the you know, no commissioner takes more flack from his own fans than Larry Scott and yet there hasn't been that uprising that unrest nobody's planning to storm the offices in in San Francisco like these um, parents of Iowa and Ohio State and whatnot are planning to show up at Kevin Warren's office on Friday now some of that is cultural Uh, I think when you're talking Ohio State football and Nebraska football like there just aren't any fan bases quite like that even I would you know USC's maybe um but I also think because of what's happened in L.A., I don't. I think maybe you could get it. I think most USC fans kind of knew it was going to get canceled. Um, like they're just the, the attitude was different. I think people just assumed it would get canceled. Not there was no like shock. And of course, they also didn't release their schedule for like three days before they voted to to cancel it or sorry postpone it. Um, also. Like this wasn't actually Kevin Warren's decision. The presidents are the ones who voted on it, and not a you know they've they've some of them have done like individual interviews, but you know Kevin Warren has been just the face of it. He's the only one who's been uh, you know addressing the public or the media about it. Um, my takeaway: I, I don't know the guy, um, but you know it's one of those things where it always seems like a good idea in theory to bring in a total outsider who has no college experience. Maybe he'll he'll you know, bring a fresh perspective. But the Big Ten had a lot of internal candidates they could have hired. Jim Phillips, the Northwestern AD, people right up until the moment they announced it assumed actually that he was going to be the guy. They bring in Kevin Warren, who, by the way, our writers who cover the Vikings swear by the guy. You know, people people are enamored with him. Um, But he has no experience dealing with university presidents, with um, college fan bases. Uh, I just think he... He, he and his staff totally misread the room on this and they needed to be much more forthcoming from the beginning at the end of the day as i wrote about uh wednesday night the reasoning in his article is perfectly reasonable i, I know there are people who who are going to disagree with it um who think that they should play anyway and that's fine uh but the damage is done and it's kind of like a coach who like willie taggart had that awful awful first game on national television and like never could dig out of the image from that. I think it's going to take a long time for Kevin Warren to win back over his constituents, given how clumsily this whole thing was handled. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, uh, one of the things I'd heard, uh, ADs were not able to you know, hear from him, and I think that was added to the frustration internally. And it's, man, it, you know, just like you said, I... I I think people just were at this point just shrug their shoulders at this at this going forward. So, also in the news this week, there have been that you know first was North Carolina that in its first week back in classes, uh, first week back on campus, had an outbreak that spiraled so quickly that they've had to shut it down and send the students back home. Uh, Notre Dame also having a similar situation. They have they didn't shut it down completely but they've gone to online only for two weeks and and people are now watching that very closely because uh, it's one thing to happen at unc which is not exactly considered a football school even though mac brown's got them headed in the right direction but notre dame is there any possibility they're going to have to shut down their season over this that's why we wanted to bring on pete sampson 
He's been covering that beat for a long, long time, and he knows not just the football program, but just the culture of Notre Dame and why um, why this could be a particularly vexing decision for that school. So let's get to Pete now. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, Bruce, chicken ribs, chicken that tastes like ribs, and it really does. Right. And one of the best things about it, it is healthy barbecue. And what does that mean, Stu? It means 75% less fat and calories than traditional pork ribs. Uh, Stu, we both had had it. And the thing that I really liked was it was very filling. Uh, I thought it was really good cuts of chicken. And it had some really good flavor. I was, I don't say pleasantly surprised, but I was very pleased with what, with, uh, with what a longtime listener of the show, and I think we're burying the lead there, the fact that uh, a diehard college football fan who has listened to this show for many years is now a proud sponsor, and, and we couldn't be happier about that. It's a perfect natural fit. It also, it's great, you know, if we're allowed to tailgate this year, it's great for tailgating. It's free two-day shipping nationwide, vacuum package right from the smokehouse. I just, you can just take, it was in the packaging, individual wrap, you know, portions, and you can just, stick it right in there and boil it without even thawing it. I did that the first time. And then the second time I put it in the oven, made it a little crispier. I think that's the way to go. You can throw it on the grill or if you're Andy Staples and you've got an air fryer, go for it. Great barbecue takes time, but chicken ribs makes it easy. Fully cooked from the smokehouse, chicken ribs are authentic barbecue ready in just minutes. Go to www.chickenribs.com and use code audible to get $10 off plus free two day shipping. Who doesn't love perfectly smoked meat for the big game, whether at home or the tailgate? That's chickenribs.com, code audible for $10 off plus free two-day shipping. We are pleased to be joined now by Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame writer. He's been covering Notre Dame since the Bob Davey era. Nobody knows that program and that school better. And obviously, they're in the news this week, uh, along with UNC, Notre Dame, one of the schools that that's came back early and uh, has had a considerable COVID outbreak um, to the point where they are going. They've gone to online only classes for two weeks, and the I think the thing that you know I don't want to say it was surprising, but it 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 raised eyebrows because up until like earlier this week. And you can explain this, Pete, but Notre Dame was considered like the model for how to how to bring back students in the middle of a pandemic. Can you just explain a little bit what what has gone on over the last few days? Yeah. So, I mean, they had a, a huge spike over the weekend that they traced back to two off campus parties. Um, you know, it's been, I believe, the 220 cases or so about. 75% of them have been traced to sort of seniors who are living off campus. Um, they've done a pretty good job of containing it on campus. And I mean, they had plans where they had apartment buildings set up for essentially quarantine living. If you tested positive, um, they had, uh, you know, they have a testing facility built into the actual football stadium right now. Um, that plan anticipated quite a few cases in the hundreds um, was what sort of what they're modeling, but not at the speed that they hit. Um, so I think that's where Notre Dame got caught flat-footed as an institution. They didn't expect the uh, the frequency and the the intensity of these cases to hit nearly as, as hard as it did. You know, I'm curious, having said that, it sounds like they were they were overwhelmed by how fast everything yes. got going. Uh, I'm not asking you to predict what's going on, going to happen, or about to happen, or could happen at other schools. But how much coordination, and how much do you think other other universities, not just college football programs, are trying to look and study? Because Notre Dame is is not now. It's a obviously a rich university, but it's not a huge one. Uh, how much do you think there would be carryover? How much of this kind of sharing do you think is going to happen? Because right now I feel like a lot of schools are either almost in the exact same timeline. It's not like a month from now. And so I don't even know what kind of adjustments they could make even to brace for it if it's like this. Because I've heard for weeks like how the SEC was worried about a surge when the regular students come back as it relates to football. But now we're just talking about 
regular universities. I think Stu had posted some, tweeted something this morning about an email from somebody at Syracuse and in leadership about selfish kids. And I just feel like everyone, not everyone, I feel like a lot of schools are going to be going through this exact same thing, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if there's much of a model to take away from those other schools from Notre Dame because it's, it's a small private Catholic school um, in a small town where there's not a lot to do. Um, I think that the, the religious nature of Notre Dame would, there's an implication of, you know, you're going to have a compliant student body. And that was something that the university banked on. If you're a big state school with a Greek system, I, I have no clue how this is supposed to work for you. Um, Notre Dame's bet was that they could sort of get everyone to buy in because it was a smaller student body and people would be compliant. And they almost got there. Um, but just having 10, 15% people who are not in compliance is enough to, to topple the whole thing. So I, I don't know how a, a major state school or any of these SEC schools would could look at Notre Dame and, and feel comfortable in any way that they could take Notre Dame's model, which isn't working anyway right now, uh, and make it work for them. I mean, anybody who knows what goes on at college could see this coming for months. In fact, as the schools started to put out their plans, maybe in late May, early June, um, for, oh, we're going we're gonna to be open this fall, and here are the measures we're taking. And they were all about the actual classrooms. You know, we're going to have we won't have any big lectures and students will be six feet apart. And I just remember thinking, okay, but they're still going to be living in dorms and fraternities. And there's, it just seems like based on some of the messaging, like, you know, I watched Father Jenkins video. His was, I mean, it wasn't like he was necessarily lecturing them, but there was a kind of a threat underneath it of like, if you guys don't stop partying, we're going to have to send you all back home. And the Syracuse letter that Bruce referenced was actually very terse. And called the students who are who had congregated on the quad selfish, and they're going to ruin it for everybody. If if academia's whole plan here was to expect college kids to not party for four months, then I would say you didn't have much of a, much of a plan at all. What was interesting about Notre Dame though was that they actually and and I don't think most schools could afford to do this tested every single student before they came back, Correct, yeah. and they couldn't come back unless they had a negative test. So. The fact that this got out of control so quickly, even despite doing that, has got to be pretty alarming to to other universities. And in fact, Michigan State this week, you know, as soon as UNC and Notre Dame happened, told their students, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, we're not we're not doing in person after all." And that was one of the things with Notre Dame is like when they modeled this, their worst case model was a thousand positive cases. So you think about it in that in those terms, so they, they were built to have a spike in cases and continue on. But to go from, you know, four days ago was 15 positive cases, then it was 89, then it was 73, and today was 75, they're already at 304. Um, That's, I think, the intensity of that and, like, the way this disease works is, like, once it's in the system, then it grows and it grows and it grows as you get exponential growth. And, you know, Notre Dame has not been able to control that. Pete, I'm curious about this. So... Uh, Jack Swarbrick comes out and says that Notre, Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame's AD, said they're going to pause football practice to look at questions related to going online for a couple of weeks. And I think one thing that is interesting to me is there's a lot of folks who will look at it and say, okay, there's no bubble in college sports. So the closest way they could have some kind of bubble, and I'm not talking about Notre Dame, I'm talking about everybody, is students take all, all their classes online, don't go on campus. Now, some schools, it's less viable than others to even think that way. But the feeling that you get from a lot of folks around college football is that, okay, everybody's going to end up taking classes online and no students, and it's just going to be the football players. And you can say whatever you want about the notion of, quote unquote, the student athlete and whether they're employees or not. But that could be the reality for 2020 in the fall. You know, Notre Dame, certainly the culture of Notre Dame better than than Stu and I do. You're around it all the time. Do you believe that if they said regular students just couldn't take classes and be part of a normal, quote unquote, uh, academic life? 
do you think Notre Dame football would proceed this year? I don't think that they would. Um, I don't know of that being a certainty because, I mean, to me, if you know, I've talked to Jack Swarbrick and he said it's he can't get his head around the idea of college football being played without college students. If it's not safe to play football, how, or if it's not safe for students to be there, how is it safe for student athletes to be there? I would also hope that Notre Dame would look at the world and say like, okay, things have changed. Um, you know, what was true in March and April is not true in August and September. Um, you know, and if it's, if it's a question of health of the student athlete, safety of the student athlete, uh, I did a story this week talking to parents and they all are in a 100% agreement, whether you think that they should be playing or not, they don't want their, their kids sent home because it's safe for them, for them to be at Notre Dame where they're getting tested every other day. They have food, they have training, they have medical staff, um, they have academic support if they're doing online classes. Um, you know, I understand Notre Dame and their their philosophy of the student athlete, but this has kind of turned into a, a math and a probability question where, you know, the, the math would support the players staying because it's safe for them, for them to be here. It's even safer if the rest of the students aren't here, but that would be a big pill for Notre Dame to swallow to say, okay, these athletes are, are going to be treated differently. And yet the school's online for the next two weeks. Football is going to continue to practice. Um, in the summer when the university was closed, football was here training. International students were here training. I don't, I don't think they're going to send international students home. Um, so there's, there's some gray area there, but I just don't know if Notre Dame as an institution is, is going to have the appetite to, to really swallow hard and go there. And, and just to be clear, there's this notion out there that if there's no football season, all the players will have to go home. If, if you know, the most pro, I mean, so far in the big 10 and PAC 12, nobody has sent the players home, like forced them to go home. Some have gone home, but I mean, just yesterday, the NCAA came out and said that schools that aren't playing this fall will still be able to do 12 hours a week of, of football activities. But yeah, to your point, Pete, if we were just talking solely about what, would give us the best opportunity to play football this fall. It actually would be all the other students go back home and the football teams there alone. This really comes down to a philosophical uh, argument. And I don't know that UNC is necessarily the, 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 the poster for this, but I mean, I'm not going to ask you here to give like a whole history lecture about Notre Dame and its culture, but I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that of all the football powers, nobody has kind of advertised or, uh, espouse more that their football players are also regular students. So I assume that's what leads you to, to say, you said right off the top, you don't think they would proceed with football. And I assume that's the reason. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest one. It's, you know, you might, it's, it's a philosophical question, but you know, philosophy in the middle of a pandemic is, you know, I, I think you gotta have some pragmatism about what's going on. If, if Notre Dame is going to lose, you know, they're not any different from anybody else when they're going to have financial losses over a hundred million dollars. If you can play football and mitigate some of that and save jobs, uh, and do something that the overwhelming majority of your roster wants to do anyway, which is to play, then I, then I think you got to take a step back and wonder if you're, you're, you're making the right decision. Um, even though that you have advertised yourself as your football players are just like everybody else. Well, if everybody else is taking online classes, then then maybe that's okay. Uh, but I, I just I I have a hard time seeing Notre Dame saying we're going to press forward with football when the university is essentially virtual or closed. Uh, I I think this is this is like a fascinating subplot to to everything that's going to go on because I think a lot of cynics would fall into the category. Well, nobody thought they would partner up with the ACC or go down some of the roads they've gone down, and. I don't know, you know, I don't want to speak for you or, or, or uh, Stu on this front, but like the notion of the student athlete to me, and this is a larger discussion, I feel like I don't want to, I don't think it diminishes how the academic life of college football players or any other college athletes approach things. Uh, I, I think what this kind of gets into is this kind of big can of worms about quote unquote, the um, employee them as employees and what that means to the NCAA. And so I, I think that is larger than, than, than the Notre Dame element of this, right? Like, I, I think if you're a Notre Dame student and we can 
you know, you know, pick anyone, whether it's Ian Book or anybody in the program, I don't think their curriculum is going to change, right? It's like, so I could see them making an, uh, a justification if they've determined it's still healthy to do it, um, to press forward in that regard. I mean, again, you know these people way better than I do, but it's not like all of a sudden they're going to say, hey, all the classes that you take and the, the obligations and some of the challenges that I think are, are unique to Notre Dame and the way they schedule and everything else – um, those things I think are still going to exist to a large degree and we're on uncharted waters. And I don't know if I was a betting man, I, I guess I would be surprised if Notre Dame said, all right, the rest of the ACC is going to push forward and we're just not because we don't like the optics of it. I, I, I think that's what they, I think they should continue to press forward, um, and go with the ACC and play. I just, the, the way this university is run, you know, with the board of trustees, it's not like, um, you know, the power brokers at SEC schools where, where football is first. Um, and that's when you have your athletic director come out and say, well, it doesn't make any, I, I can't imagine us playing football if it's not safe for students to be here. That's, pr- that's a pretty black and white uh, statement to make. Um, so they, they would really have to walk back from that in a big way. I think that they should on a personal level, but I, I don't know if Notre Dame will have the, I guess, I guess the stomach for it is probably the best way to put it. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a moment. First, a word from one of our sponsors, Artifact. Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about important people or things in your life. Think of it like a podcast episode about whatever you want. Stu, we did one of these a few weeks ago, and I felt like I learned a little bit more about you. Probably more than I, I need to know, but it was interesting. It was a bit cathartic. Uh, one of their journalists interviewed us for about a half hour, and we talked about when we first met back at ESPN Magazine way back in the day and life on the road together, and then eventually the origins, the audible. So uh, f- please check out that episode. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. With Artifact, you can capture family history with parents and grandparents, talk about friends and family as a birthday, wedding, or anniversary gift, both about how they've made a difference in your life, and share some hilarious stories, which I think we did. I hope. Were there any hilarious stories in our episode? I don't know if they were hilarious stories, but they were they were chuckleable stories. How about that? Uh, all right, Stu, here's how it works. When you are ready to make an artifact of your own, use code AUDIBLE to get $40 off on your first one. That's heyartifact.com and use the code AUDIBLE for $40 off. There's been a lot of walking back already oh, yeah. in college sports. I mean, you can go back to March or April and you'll find quotes from Bob Bowlesby, Larry Scott, Mark Emmert. If the students aren't in classes, then we're not playing college football. And, and now it's, you know, you, you look at UNC, Mac Brown's comments the other day, it's, it's, it's pivoted to, well, now means we have a bubble. So let's, this is, this is great news. We, we can do what the NBA does. Um, the reason, the whole reason like that this is significant to me beyond just Notre Dame is that is the possible domino effect. If they do decide not to play football, I mean, we talk, you know, when the, when the big 12, you know, the night that the big 10 and Pac 12 canceled everybody was looking to the big 12 and they became the swing vote and if the big 12 had canceled that would have probably been it for for the other conferences the question here is if notre dame decides not to play football the effect that has on the acc because i just feel like you know if if, if syracuse decided tomorrow not to play football i think the acc could say all right well it's tough for you we're moving on but but the one of the biggest appeals of this new schedule they put out was that notre dame was finally going to be part of the acc and I mean, short of Clemson dropping out, I mean, there's there's no more significant program. So, given the ACC already has uh, another school, another I would say flagship school in UNC that's dealing with this, I mean, that's the question, right? If Notre Dame decided not to play football, would that be like the the tipping point for the ACC as a whole? Because if it is, if the ACC goes, I think that's it for the other power conferences. Yeah, and that's. I mean, it's a great question. I, I don't know how the ACC would react if Notre Dame just sort of said, you know what, we can't do this. We can't press forward. I, I think that because I think Notre Dame to pull out 
it would it wouldn't they wouldn't be pulling out on a, a safety issue. Um, they'd be pulling out an educational philosophy issue, and I, I don't think the ACC would automatically have to be like, all right, we're out, we can't do this. Um, you know, they would they would I would assume that they would continue on if Notre Dame's reasoning to to pull out was um, you know heart inflammation after you know, a COVID-19 infection, that would be different. But, um, you know, Notre Dame is continuing to practice on, uh, probably, probably not today, but re- resuming tomorrow. Um, you know, that's, that's a, a sort of a different discussion. It is interesting that that distinction, as you, you know, you just articulated it about not for a directly for a, for a safety issue, but more, I don't even know if I would call it a moral, moral issue, but, just the notion of, Hey, we're going to cling to the student aspect, student athlete, uh, academic, uh, ring of this, maybe more than other people are comfortable for. Uh, I'm curious, just as, as somebody who has covered the team, as Stu said for a long time, what has it been like for you to training camps are going on? I mean, like I follow a lot of NFL media and so I'm seeing a lot of stuff. I'm seeing a lot of, uh, just, either one-on-one rep coverage or highlights of things. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of heart, not heartwarming. That's the wrong one. Kind of just gets you going a little bit as a football fan for you covering the team. I've seen your story. <laughs> like, how are you trying to make this work? You know, it's, you get some bits of football from their like in-house media team. And I'm, you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of taking every still shot of that and trying to learn something from it. Um, It's difficult because in some ways you're looking to see, okay, what's happening in this play. And then, but you're also thinking, okay, who, who were the two positives in the seven players who were caught up in contact tracing who I'm not seeing. So you're kind of doing a body count on these sort of wide angle shots. Um, And it, you know, Unlike the NFL, I feel like when you when you go down these rabbit holes with these sort of very minute film study stories, you're almost like at the top of the story having to write, okay, could we also spend our disbelief about the season maybe or probably not happening and just let's let's all take ten minutes together and think about football and football only. That's I mean, you know, I did a story on the parents, I'll do sort of the these deep film studies. Um that's about it. I don't expect to be in the same room as Brian Kelly for a long, long time. Uh, we haven't talked to a single player uh, since camp started. So it's it's just very difficult. You're kind of just making the best of a bad situation. I think you're underselling how you made the best of a, a of a bad situation. <laughs> but I just want to let the listeners know they may not be aware. Like the NFL has, I think, restricted how many reporters can attend practice. But there are reporters who are still still attending practice. No, no college program in America that I know of is allowing reporters into practice. Uh, now, there are already limitations. A lot of schools uh, would only let you come watch like the first 15 minutes where they're stretching. But to your point, like you could use that time to see, you know, who, who's taking the first reps in the, in the you know, running back drills or whatnot. So just, just to give people, and certainly Notre Dame fans may be listening, basically Notre Dame put out a video and it had four plays from practice. And you were able to look at those four plays and find all of these other details that might give a clue about how the roster is shaping up. But what are the main things you learned? Yeah, it's, you know, they have a, a five-star-ish freshman running back named Chris Tyree who's getting work with the first team. Um, that that was very significant. So it's, you can tell, like, which freshmen are clicking that the staff believes in and which ones are just sort of going to go through the, the regular acclimation. And they've got three guys, Chris Tyree's the running back, Jordan Johnson's the receiver and Michael Mayer's a tight end who are all sort of top 50 type players. Uh, and at, at the athletic, we know that stars matter. Um, those guys, <laughs> those guys were well endowed with stars coming out. So that's, that's part of it. Um, you know, and then you can sort of see how, the second, I'm fascinated by how like the second team shapes out and you can sort of figure out, okay, here, here's how the, the offensive and defensive lines are, are developing. So it's, um, you can get a little bit out of it, but Notre Dame is, is more open than most. Usually we usually get about four or five full practices, uh, during training camp to just sit there and watch and you can do whatever you want with it. Um, now we're getting four or five plays 
but uh, yeah, there was there was there was a lot to take away from those. Pete, while we have you, and as we're talking about some of the some of the new personnel, and I think most of our audience is probably familiar with the story that you and Matt Fortuna did. I don't know six months ago about the offensive coordinator who used to work there and no longer does, and maybe the environment that has changed uh, around the team to some degree. Using that as a backdrop, and obviously we know there's all sorts of chaos that could happen with this season, but let's just kind of walk through on the field in terms of with the dynamic around, the chemistry or potentially around this new staff, this team, how realistic is it that this group could make a run and not just getting in the playoff, but being a national title contender, because I feel like the equation has changed a little bit. No, no Ohio State, uh, certainly no, no Big Ten, no, no Pac-12. So it's there's less teams in the mix. Now, obviously, the SEC, still, SEC is still there. Clemson is still there. But as you size up what Brian Kelly's working with, as you size up the change in dynamic, and it's not to say Chip Long wasn't really good at what he did that's unfair he was certainly you know a really good offensive mind but just there's a lot of stuff that's different about Notre Dame you know their personnel you know the speed they've added especially in some key places skill wise is this a team that you think has a legit chance to be a national title contender no I think it's it's a legit playoff contender um but I, I can't look at this roster unless the three freshmen that I mentioned come in and have sort of these all-world freshman All-American type of seasons because they're Notre Dame doesn't have the running back speed or the wide receiver speed uh, of what you see at Clemson or what if you he's see Bryce at LSU. Love if he is Bryce Love does that change your answer yes yeah absolutely um, so if if Notre Dame's running backs coach can Lance Taylor can say Chris Tyree is the next Lance or next Bryce Love next time we talk to him then I'll be all on board with that or if uh, Michael Mayer is the next Kyle Rudolph then then they've got a shot, but you watch, I mean, you watch the playoff games and you see the speed that LSU has all over the place and what Clemson has all over the place. Uh, Notre Dame doesn't have one of those guys. And I'm going to, I'm going to do sort of a recruiting story with Grace Raynor or, or Clemson beat reporter next week, just sort of comparing those rosters because what those schools have at quarterback wide receiver and running back Notre Dame just doesn't. Um, I think they can stack up pretty well at, at pretty much every other position, but the offensive skill spot, they just, they have not been recruiting at that level like those other schools. And that's, that really gets exposed once you get in those playoff scenarios. Stu, one quick thing. Like, it's crazy to me that, and th- I feel like this has gone on for a while. Our, our buddy, John Walters, and I had this conversation, maybe it was five years ago, but it was like, they've had five-star running back recruits in the past. I mean, you go back to you know, probably 15 years ago. I forgot who the, like there was, there was a big running back who was maybe out of Michigan, who was a five-star guy who did almost nothing. Yeah. You know, they've had like James Aldridge some, just, you know, they, they've had five-star running backs, but they've been injured or, you know, they just didn't pan out. Or they were overhyped. I don't know. But like to find like a, I'm not talking like necessarily a Reggie Bush, but like to find like somebody who is a big time difference maker there, they've had some pretty productive running backs. But have they just misevaluated all that long, or what has it been? I, it's they've been unlucky. I think they've had bad evaluations. Um, I believe the last Notre Dame running back to make an All American team was Alan Pinkett. So it's it is not come on. It has not been a position where which like look the Holtz era with you had Ricky Waters and Jerome Bettis and all that. Like they they've had great running backs. But that, that was still 25 years ago. Um, they just they just have not had guys who have really clicked. Um, and I, I don't know what the explanation is for that, honestly. But they you, you see it when you watch their games. Um, you know, you see Travis Etienne or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They can make one or two guys miss. Notre Dame's had a hard time getting a guy who could make one guy miss. Um, and that, that just changes your entire offense. Just full disclosure, Alan Pinkett is considerably older than anybody on the <laughs> athletic college. <laughs> yeah, you know, the interesting thing about that, and it's, you know, look, it's, it's an absolutely true observation. And what's interesting about that is the, the notion for so long was that 
you know, the SEC kind of has a, this is entirely true, has a stranglehold on like big athletic defensive linemen. And, you know, that's the difference between Alabama and Michigan, for example. Skill players are supposed to be the easiest to recruit. I mean, Oklahoma State has a Blitnikoff winner <laughs> candidate like every other year, right? And they don't have the recruiting cachet of Notre Dame. I mean, we could we could name any number. You know, LaMichael James was a very lowly rated recruit in Oregon. Had like him and Kenyon Barnett. Like those are supposed to be the easy guys to find. Notre Dame, it's been the opposite. They've had great offensive and defensive linemen or in during the Brian Kelly era. And I guess you know you can go back to to Golden Tate and Michael Floyd. They did for a brief moment there have those like Clemson type receivers, but like of all the par- positions on the field, the, that's the one they're like. Yeah, I mean they had Will Fuller not that long ago. Uh, you know, first first round yeah, pick true. who had legit four three speed, but they don't they don't have an assembly line of those guys like Clemson has, where you have T Higgins and Justin Ross. Um, you know they haven't they haven't had that kind of combination, which is what Notre Dame had to defend in the Cotton Bowl. So it's you know at running back they had Tony Alford was a running backs coach. He's at Ohio State, great great recruiter. Um, he brought in some big time guys here who just. They got injured or they got in academic trouble that didn't pan out. Audrey Denso was the running backs coach the last few years until Lance Taylor got here. His recruiting was really poor. Um, you know, Lance Taylor has, a, I think, a chance to be a really excellent recruiter and coach here. Um, you know, they have and they have Chris Tyree in the freshman class, but um, it's just it. Even they're recruiting a cycle farther. They went head to head with Clemson for Will Shipley, this five star back from North Carolina. They lost him, and then they didn't really have a great next option so it's um it's just been a difficult spot for Notre Dame to find guys who want to come play running back here and I think some some people may go oh the academics are different I mean if you look at just some of the running backs like we we've mentioned uh Bryce Love at Stanford obviously Stanford's had some difference makers in the backfield in the last decade and if you can get into Stanford you can get in anywhere so um that I, I don't think that should be like the you know, if somebody's rolling their eyes going, yeah, well, yeah, their, their pool might be a little smaller than other schools, but it's not, there's some other teams that have, have relatively small pools. We're also landing big time guys. Yeah. And I, I sort of do a, a annual check-in with my sources in the recruiting offices at Notre Dame, just essentially, okay, top hundred guys in the country, how many of them can you actually recruit? And you, the, the average sort of falls anywhere between 33% to 40%. Um, so yeah, that, that's a lot smaller, but I do think there's a self-selective power of Notre Dame where if you're somebody who's interested in the academic side of things, then you're going to look at Notre Dame more than you would your, your typical state school. Uh, but they just, they have not been able to close the deal on enough of those running back. And that's, you know, we mentioned Chip Long. He was what, probably the best recruiter on staff. That's, it's a tough loss in that regard too, because he was instrumental in the Jordan Johnson, Michael Mayer, and Chris Tyree gets that are in the freshman class right now. Well, Pete, we've probably kept you longer than you were expecting. We should mention that if you uh, want to hear a great Notre Dame podcast, Pete and Matt Fortuna host the Shamrock uh easily the most popular Notre Dame podcast on the internet I'm pretty sure according to numbers that I'm making up in my head right now but uh no it is a it's a great it's a great show and obviously you can read Pete's coverage on The Athletic we thank you so much for coming on all right thanks for having me thanks Pete all right it was good talking to Pete I agree with you Bruce I started to get pretty energized as we talked more and more about Notre Dame football there towards the end uh Knock on wood, at some point soon, it'll be back to being an all-football podcast. Uh, things are just moving so quickly right now. Unfortunately, we ran out of time for the mailbag again. I feel like that's been the case a lot lately. But I also did go through the questions, and a lot of them were about things that we just addressed. It's just moving so quickly that um, stuff that people ask on Mondays changed by Thursday. So please do still send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And... Next week, by the time we come to you, we'll be a week away from the first games of what is going to be a highly unusual college football season. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our 
theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on Spotify or Apple Music. Follow me on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.